This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by the Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership Program at the University of San Diego. Learn how this nationally ranked online program can help you be a force for change at san diego.edu/slash police one. Well, you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, we all want to get ahead and lead, don't we? Leadership is about sacrifice, getting the best from our people and being able to answer questions, or at least to have the ability to know where to find the right answer. Unless you work in an environment where leadership is recognized and they award field promotions, you need to prepare yourself for the leadership role. Anyone can take a chance on a promotional test you know the guy or the gal who says after the test, ha ha, I didn't even study. Shouldn't we walk the walk and talk the talk and not just play the promotional lottery? Well, my guest today knows all about it. He's retired Captain Andy Borello. He's a retired police captain and 27-year veteran with the San Gabriel Police Department. He's a certified postmaster instructor, a graduate of Command College, and serves as a post-training course evaluator for the quality assessment program. He's been presenting law enforcement training in multiple subjects for 30 years and specializes in career development, career advancement, promotion, the promotional resume, succession planning, and promotional oral interview. Andy's the book author of the Police Promotion Super Course, a co-author of The Police Professional, 60 Ways to Lead, and his latest book, Law Enforcement's Guide to Advancing Your Rank, which will be available this year, 2022. Welcome to Policing Matters, Andy Borello. Jim, thank you so much. It's an, it's an honor to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been after you for a while. I want to talk to you about your thoughts uh, about what you were thinking about when you wrote these books about leadership, career development, and promoting um, was that something internal or did somebody say, hey, Andy, you know all about this. Get it, get, get it on, get it on paper. Well, here, here's how it happened. Um, back in the day, I worked narcotics. We worked on a major narcotics task force. And as you know, uh, when you're on when you're on working surveillance, you have a lot of hours in your car. And at the same time, um, promotions were coming up. So I was preparing uh, to go from detective to be a sergeant. And so I gathered all my materials. Now I was a hoarder, I'm very competitive. So I gathered books and pole bar stuff and ethics stuff and risk management, everything I put my hands on. I had milk crates full of it overflowing. And I got all that together and I organized it. I consolidated, I put it together in chapters and then I put it in binders. And then in the binders, I put tabs on it. And then I pared it down. And these were my study materials. This was what I was gonna study to get competitive and, and try to come out to make sergeant. And my other partners saw what I was doing. They saw the book. They go, hey, what is that? I said, it's my study materials for a supervisor. And they looked through and they go, this is awesome. Can I have it? You know, they wanted a copy of it. I said, no, you can't. <laughs> I did share. But they said, this is neat. So I got the idea. And I, and I really did like to write. It was kind of a passion of mine. I got the idea. You know what? Uh, what if I put this in a book? So at the same time, kind of the trifecta, at the same time, I was also going through master instructor's course. So I was learning how to be a good instructor and I was teaching. And all three of these things came together, writing, uh, the master instructor wanting to teach it, and then uh, potential for a book. And I called a publisher. So I called Glenn Hallster. You may know him. He was the uh, publisher for uh, the Quick Codes. And I told him what I had. And he said, I want it. 
he said, uh, send us what you got. So he and his lawyer looked at it. Uh, they, they sent it back to me and said, okay, home this and massage it, add some more, add a couple of the chapters. And coincidentally, my sister, who's brilliant, uh, genius, uh, is a professional writer and a great editor. And so we got the book together. It took me about a year. I studied psychology and communication and, and put all these things into it. And it blossomed into a, a nice book that I called Oral, uh, Oral Interview Dynamics. And I sent it in and they published it. So I had a published book. And so that's, that's kind of the story of how I wrote it. And then in 2013, I took my publisher out to dinner and I talked him into letting me self-publish. So I broke away from the publisher. I self-published. I doubled the size of the book, added color to it, and it became twice as big, put a new cover on it. And uh, that's where we are today. So that's, a, that's the story of my book. <laughs> that's great. I'm sure it's helped a lot of people throughout their careers. And, you know, you and I talked about talking about promotionals and things like that. And, and I know a lot of our listeners are frontline cops, deputies. And I, I've known some really great cops who really don't have, um, you know, an attitude that they want the, the burden of uh, formal leadership, of, of moving up to the ne next rank, whether they have a, a great gig already or, um, you know, they're, they're doing what they like, right? Right. pushing a police car, pushing a, a, a cruiser and doing the job. Uh, can leadership be learned? And what we hear about natural leaders. And in truth, we're all leaders, right? We are, we're all leaders and we're all followers. Uh, what's the niche for the, the patrolman or the deputy or the, the patrol officer uh, that just wants to lead, pick up some tips on leadership and organizing, but not necessarily do the promotional ladder? That's a great question. You know, to, to, to answer the, the basic question, can leadership be learned? I 100% believe it can. I think there are natural leaders, but I, I don't think they're born, okay, I'm just a leader. I think they have attributes or traits or characteristics that help the traits they learn to be leadership. For if you're a naturally good speaker, you have a good personality, you're gregarious, and you, you like to speak and you like to be in front of people, that's not leadership, but that's a component. It's a spoke in the wheel. So if you can hone things that make you charismatic, if you can hone things that make you generous or be a very well balanced and make good decisions. Those are things that you can go on. I, I call those exact traits. You can pick a trait, um, being a good speaker, having a great memory, um, even having a good handshake, make, making people remember you. And then you take that, apply those spokes or those traits to leadership and you put the two together and that's, and anybody could be a leader. So it's attributes of the natural things that you have and the things that you learn. When you mesh the two together, then it becomes pretty good. Like generosity, a lot of people think, "Well, what's a good mentor?" And you know, everybody's got the the, you know, the Wikipedia version of mentorship. I like to say, mentorship is about generosity. Um, you share your time, your valuable time with people. You walk alongside them. It could be for a day, it could be for a month, or it could be for ten years. And we misconceive mentors or people that help us. We look at them as a, you know an older person with gray hair like you and me. <laughs> who wear a smoking jacket and they have a decanter of brandy and a pipe and they espouse about finance. That's not what a mentor is. A mentor is somebody who loves you, cares about you, who'll walk shoulder to shoulder with you um, and help you. Not only just be a better cop, but be safer, uh, be better at finance, be better in relationships, be better with your kids uh, or to live longer. And so that's what mentorship is. So I, I think one of the things that we really need to look at is when you look at leadership, Pick the components of it. Pick the ones that you like or the ones that you want to strengthen that you already have, and then take a deep, deep dive in it. And then, and then hone each one. Once you master one, then move to another one. 
you master one, move to another one. And looking at it as a marathon, not a sprint, you go through 10, 15 years of that and you become a well-balanced leader and you can be very effective, but anyone can do it. Yeah, for sure. And and I know exactly what you're talking about, those, those traits that you're talking about. And affability is huge, right? And it it is so advantageous to be affable in law enforcement and you know, people talk about things like de-escalation, and I think the best de-escalation can be that officer who can just easily slide into talking with somebody, whether it's a, you know, just a casual encounter on the street or a crisis intervention, talking somebody literally off a ledge. Uh, they do really great in those situations. And, you know, when I first started, my FTOs, I was lucky to have three awesome FTOs and I learned from each one of them and they were, they're still leaders in my book and they didn't really promote. So how can people like that create their own opportunities to lead? Well, you, and I'd be happy to answer that question, but you said something really uh, poignant that I think is important. You know, you, you said de-escalation. Um, people look through the lens of, am I a guardian or am I a warrior? Mm-hmm. Am I a police officer? Or am I a peace officer? And the, the, the answer is you're both um, in the same package. There's a great metaphor um, that, that, I, that I, I heard. Um, if you look at the back of a dollar bill, there's the seal. So it shows an eagle. And in the talons, the eagle is holding a bunch of arrows and an olive branch. And that's what a police officer is. They have an knowledge branch, always striving for peace, always trying to do, uh, you know, without force and things like that. But on the other hand, the, the nature of our job and the things we have to deal with, you also need the arrows as well. So when you look at the warrior um, guardian mindset, you got to be both a blended person. Uh, so the approach is holistic and that's the most important. So with regard to... Uh, and if you repeat your question again, again, you, I'm going to go off on a tangent all day today. So <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> reel me in, reel great. me in. <laughs> no, it's great. And I think, you know, that, that image of the eagle with the shield and the arrows and the olive branch. Yeah, that all makes sense in San Francisco PD. Our, our patch says, um, uh, Oro en paz, fiero en guerra, which is golden peace, iron in war. Same thing, right? Like we're, we're cool. We got to be, but then we can, you know, step up when, when need be. hundred percent. So creating opportunities, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that, yeah. So that was the, the question was about opportunities to lead. And, um, you know, I think about like incident command and, um, you know, of course we want everybody trained in incident command, but, um, may not be that expert, you know, the one who's got, you know, all the post, uh, certifications for all the training ever possible. And you've got that that individual uh, officer who's you know first on scene, and they are the incident commander. That's an opportunity to lead, right? And um, how how can they better prepare for that those leadership roles in those uh, patrol functions? Sure, I, I call it leadership dexterity. Um, a lot of times when we look at leadership, we look at it as a as linear, as a kind of a, a, a one trick pony. Um, I want to be a leader, and I want to do this, or I want to be a leader, and I want to do that do everything, throw, you know, cast a wide net. Um, we talked a little bit about a mentorship, um, get a mentor. And, and like I said, seek them out. And, and especially in law enforcement, they'll be glad to help you. But when you get a mentor and, and while you're going through that and benefiting from that person, then be a mentor, pay it forward. Hmm. So, so get, get a mentor and be a mentor. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what helped me tremendously uh, open a lot of doors for me is being a trainer. 
uh, and with training comes public speaking, you meet so many people that way. And when you have a, a teacher or an instructor student relationship, um, that doesn't just end after the class. And then you're a strategic, a strategic alliance, you're a, a networking and they contact you years later. Um, you've heard of LinkedIn, of course. Of course. So, so I, I go on LinkedIn quite a bit. And um, since I retired five years ago, one of the things I like to do is I, I find somebody who impresses me. I read about them or they have a promotion and I'll reach out to them real subtly and I'll contact them and say, hey, have you ever thought about this and thought about this? And um, have you ever thought about turning what you do into a business and, and be an entrepreneur? And, and what do you think about that? And we start getting a dialogue going. And then once I get to a point where we're now friends, you know, we, we've kind of broed up. Uh, that I help them and I send them things and and it goes the relationship lasts for years. I've seen people promote through the ranks. I had a, a young lady promote to sergeant to lieutenant and to captain. She's the first captain in her police department, in the history of their department. Um, other people have helped start businesses and that feels good for me. That's paying it forward and that's that's a really good definition of leadership. Um, public speaking promotion is obviously the formal one. Um, Join associations committees. And don't just join the committee or the association, but be an active participant in it. Mm -hmm. Train in it, go to the conferences, be a board member, have some decision-making capability, and then volunteer work. Um, that's, that's great for leadership, you, with, whether it's youth or civic groups or things like that. Mm -hmm. I had a guy who said um, he uh, sat on um, suicide hotlines, and he looked me straight in the eye. He said, I can tell you with absolute confidence that I have talked at least one dozen people out of killing themselves. And then I got a chill. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And then he took that and he taught other people how to do it. He's very good at it. So he taught others how to do it. It's kind of like a force multiplier. Mm -hmm. And him teaching others how to do it, who could potentially save lives, can talk about better leadership than that. So I think it's a combination of everything. Take a blended approach, not just one or the other. Uh, do all of it. Yeah, no, I mean, what you're saying makes sense. And I've seen, you know, makes me think about uh, cops that I worked with. Um, that were outstanding in their fields. Maybe they were a great gang cop or maybe they were a great SWAT cop. And it really took us to encourage these people to go out and to train the trainer um, uh, trainings and bring it back to the department and be that trainer because they had so much knowledge. And we don't do that enough as you know, leaders in the department don't you know, spot that talent and try to cultivate them. I think we should do more of that. I agree. And that's, yeah, that's what makes the world go around. <laughs> and do we, tell, you tell me, do we need that today more than ever before? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, if, if, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but just in the, you know, the George Floyd case, there's four officers on scene. If one officer said, Hey, okay, I got this right. Like right. I, that should be our motto these days, right? We all know when when somebody gets too involved in something or, you know, you chase somebody 10 blocks, you finally tackle them, you roll them over, try to handcuff them and they're resisting. It's hard to make sure they're comfortable and everything before you get them cuffed. So maybe that's a good time for another officer to say, I got this, you know, you you got this far. Let me take it from here. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, the, I think the best cops in the world have a forward a neutral and a reverse. The problem occurs when you're on duty and you get caught up in the moment and you only have a forward. And you know, if we walk that back just a little bit more um, where the cops can say, uh, or your partners can say, I got this, um, there's stigma. You know, you got a senior officer, you got somebody who's senior who teaches you. So we think, well, I don't want to step in. I don't want to step on his toes. I don't want to jump his call. And there's stigma to that. So we, we kind of are hesitant. Um, and I, I know you're aware of this, the guys who, who were on that call with Floyd, 
you know, I, you, they have to be saying, I wish I could go back and, and, and sure. do this. Or I wish I go back and do that. So that I think the key is, is to train prior to the event ever happening, prepare for it. That's, that's a part of team building, work together and say, let's do this. If this happens, we put their hand on their shoulder. I got this. Know that they're not stepping on your call. Know that they're not trying to take over your call. They're trying to help you because something's happening. Trust your partner, but talk about it before the event, not after the event. And I think yeah, that's critical. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Okay, I want to get to uh, five top things leaders have in common. So I'm looking at a pattern in your books that you're you're writing about. You know, you co-authored 60 Ways to Lead and, and How to Take Promotion. So you've got to have an idea of five top things every leader should have. Give, give it. What do you got? Okay. Um, well, you know, there's a real common one. So I'm going to kind of dance around some, some outline ones because uh, uh, you know, why not bring up some stuff that's not really talked about as much? Sure. I mentioned generosity. I, I think that's huge. Um, you have a desire to help. Uh, and that's, I think generosity is a foundation for being a great mentor. Um, you put generosity plus mentorship, and that's called being a servant. And, you know, there's huge volumes of, of information out there of servant leadership. And so it's not about you. It's, a, it's about the people you're helping. It's about the people you're leading from A to B. Mm-hmm. And so I think generosity and mentorship is, is definitely one of the keys. Another one is, um, uh, and we talked about this, uh, an unquenchable thirst to learn, never stop learning. And you know, we, we call it lifelong learning, but if I could tell anybody uh, some advice, read. You, you read any top list of the most successful people in the world, the, the you know, Fortune 500 CEOs, the, the people who have been the most uh, reached the tops of their success, they'll, they'll tell you top three, read books, read articles read white papers, read studies, read case studies, mm-hmm. read, 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 but don't just read, take what you read and apply it. Um, Tony Robbins says that, that you know, we say is a uh, knowledge power. You know, I've asked that to a thousand people. Everybody says, yes, not one person ever said no. And I look him straight in the face. And I say, no, knowledge is not power. Knowledge is not power, but you know, what it is the execution of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So you can be a monk on top of a mountain, looking at birds and, and clouds and, being the most brilliant person in the world, having philosophy and academia and be brilliant. But unless you put that knowledge into tangible application to help others, to have a better relationship, to be a better communicator, be better at your job, to put money in your pocket, what good is the knowledge? In my seminars, I'll take a big, sharp knife. Uh, I mean, razor sharp, and I'll cut slice through a nice piece of paper. And I put the knife in front of them. I say, is that a deadly weapon? And they all say, yeah, definitely. I said, is it? And I applied, applied the lesson. And they look at it and say, oh, no. It's possibly a deadly weapon, but not yet. Right now, it's a paperweight. In order for it to be a deadly weapon, you have to pick it up in your hand. Same thing with knowledge and what we do. Take what you learn and put it into tangible application. Then and only then does it become a stick of dynamite. Um, I asked this, of, of, I was teaching a class yesterday in Santa Fe Springs. Um, I had about uh, 20 people in the class. I asked them, how many of you have ever bought a book and didn't read it? Every hand went up, every single hand. And so all of us all of us have books we never read. So what good is a book and how can it benefit you if you haven't read it? So, so knowledge and, and all the greatest uh, business minds and all the greatest writers, Covey and Maxwell, um, uh, Japanese theory on Kaizen. For your listeners, look up Kaizen or Kaizen. It's a, the Japanese method of constant improvement. You apply these things to your life and boy, doors open up. And, and that's, I think that's a real component. It's always learning, but sharing what you learn. Um, number three, um, this is kind of obscure, kind of abstract, but, but I think your, your uh, listeners will know what I'm talking about. A leader 
when they come on scene or into your office or into your life, they make things okay. So when, when there's chaos going on, when there's um, problems happening, when yelling is occurring and they come in, it brings a sense of calm to the storm. Um, and, and I know that you've seen uh, that sergeant or that lieutenant who the officers have everything calmed down, everything's going smoothly and they come on scene and everything goes ballistic, fighting and, and there's <laughs> fights in the street, you roll around the gutter. Um, it's the opposite of that. When this person comes in the room and they always seem to, to do the things that you need when you need them. When you most need that cup of coffee, there they are with that Starbucks coffee. When you most need that um, that day off, but they really can't get it because you're minimum staffing, they manage somehow to bend over backwards and get you that important day off. And there, that's called a lot of reciprocity. There's payback to that. Officers will do things for them, like come in when they uh, need uh, backfill or overfill or overtime. They'll come in for that sergeant. Um, they'll defend them in the locker room when maybe young officers are bad mouthing them. They'll, they'll take the younger officers to court. No, and they, so there's payback for that. Hmm. Um, so I, I think such leaders, uh, the calm before the storm, they get, um, they allow you, they, they recognize when you're fatigued. You know, my day, if, if you were tired, the lieutenants would yell, you get out in the field and run some dirt on it. You'll be fine. And, I, and then they'll tell you, they don't care about you. They'll say, when I was a young officer, you know, it, it, that's not what I'm concerned about. Uh, but, but today it's changing. They'll say, hey, listen, go down to the sleep room, pass out for an hour, turn your radio off. We got you covered. Now come down with a cup of coffee and wake you up. Wow, now I'm not going to wrap my, my car around a pole or, or, or get a disease because I'm exhausted, you know, for the fifth day I've been working in a row for 18-hour days. So I, I think they kind of been calm the storm. They make work fun. They have briefings that are, that are challenging, and you learn from them. Um, I think they're just an all-around very, um, like you said, affable or very uh, dexterous person who has all the, the different tools. So how, how's that for a label? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I like the calming influence. That, that pretty sums it up. Yeah. And then, then another one that's really important today is, is uh, leaders who have kind of an emotional intelligence. They have mm. EI and they understand the value of health and wellness. You know, with, with the, the times, uh, I call it a societal tsunami. You know, we're living in times where we have pandemic and, and uh, groups that hate us and defunding and um, the legalization of this and the, the um, fake news and it just all this stuff that's hit us all in, in a short period of time. And it's daunting. You know, I have three boys that are all in law enforcement and they tell me stories. And I said, man, I wish you could, could work back when, when I started. You know, I started in 1989. And back in that day, it was like being in a movie. It was fun. Um, so today when we're, we're in this kind of, you know, uh, buzzsaw type of, of uh, career, uh, health and wellness is key. Uh, you want to live longer. When you retire, you want to live 30, 40 years past your retirement. Um, you want to have good relationships uh, with people and talk to people, take the stigma out of that. And, and people don't know what, what the most popular cancers are in law enforcement. Mm. They should know that. Uh, people don't know what, why they have uh, um, uh, problems with the colonoscopy when they turn 50. There's, mm. there's ways to prevent that. So health and wellness is, is not in vogue and it's going to disappear. It's something that needs to stay. Um, we need to protect ourselves. It's valid. And the more you are as a, as a leader to promote that, to uh, bring them into the fold of that um, and let that be the norm instead of the, the, you know, the, the outside Vogue thing that's the flavor of the month, uh, I think the better. And that's, it shows you care. And um, it doesn't just show you care. It actually does the real uh, tangible application of it. It's real. So I think that's an important aspect as well. Cool. That's your five. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, I want to talk a little bit more about mentorship. I want to talk about 
um, a little bit more into the actual promotional uh, preparation. But first, I want to take a minute and thank our sponsor. Do you want to be a better leader? Who doesn't, right? The University of San Diego has created an incredible online master's degree specifically for law enforcement professionals. The Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership Program was developed by law enforcement for law enforcement, and it's consistently ranked as one of the best online programs in the country. Whether you're preparing for promotion or simply want to be the best leader you can be, the MS Lepsol program will help you be a force for change. Affordable, online, and endorsed by law enforcement. Learn more at San Diego edu slash police one and we're back and i'm speaking with andy borello leadership and career development expert um you know we talked about mentorship you mentioned mentorship you know uh, more than a few times and i know it's important i mean i i love to make myself available to um you know young people looking to enter the the career um what's in it for the mentor Wow, that's a great question. Um, I, from I, I can tell you my perspective, uh, and I've I consider myself a mentor because I'm in, in the role of uh, consulting people, and so for the last 21 years, I've had people come and see me and say, "What do I do? And how do I do? And how can I get better? And, and what's what resources? What links should I do? And what books should I read?" That in part is a is a portion of mentoring, and so but what I've gotten out of it is a whole lot of really really personal and professional satisfaction um, to see people blossom under you to the, to enjoy the same successes that you have um, not only can you turn that into a business you know on the table the you know that that side of it but on the other side of it it's uh it's very rewarding and you meet some fantastic people i've had people in my living room my dining room that we're consulting with who speak five or six languages I've had, I've had people who are world-class athletes. I've had people who are millionaires because they, they run a side business. That's impressive. And these are now my contacts. These are now my friends and my colleagues. And so when you mentor these people, um, you benefit, I think, just as much as they do. And I can't remember the person who does it, but there's a great quote, those who teach learn. Okay, so it's, if you want to twist that a little bit, those who mentor benefit from it as well. And so I think that's important. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally believe that. And I believe of everyone you mentor, you're learning something. And I mean, they, they'll know when you're trying to BS them. So if you don't know, say you don't know, go find out and, and come back. And, you know, sometimes now, especially now in this really tough time of recruitment, you know, I'm talking to students that are asking about the process and, and it, it occurs to me all the things that we're doing wrong in recruiting in you know making the process a mystery and you know asking for these um, you know really unrealistic expectations of their background when they're you know 21 22 years old um, you know what do we expect and now we've got you know societal societal um, uh, impressions where you know a dozen states or more have essentially legalized marijuana so these mm -hmm. kids are terrified when they go into the test about what are they going to ask me and how's the polygraph work? And I've had, I've had students come back and say, honestly, I, I, I haven't done anything, but I was just so nervous that I locked up or I didn't pass the oral or I didn't pass the polygraph because I was so freaking locked up. Right. Right. I think you just described me when I was getting hired. 
<laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think now, you know, I, I do consulting too for recruiting and I tell the agencies that everybody in your agency is a recruiter. You don't have just, you know, a guy and a gal in the front office or that are your recruiters, everybody. And it's especially hard now when maybe you have people in your agency that are not so fond of what's going on and, and they're having a hard time saying, yeah, come on board, you should do it. But yeah, I, I think I think part of the, the trend that we're trying to uh, go for in law enforcement is back in the day, we would hire people that uh, had all the qualities of being cops, you know, tough, uh, mental toughness, um, could handle the job, a good decision maker. Um, and that's all important stuff. But but you we don't hire them to be cops because they're not cops yet. We want them to be have all the qualities that we want a good police officer to do. So we want to hire people that are honest and people that are uh, open-minded and people that have a lot of good qualities. We'll teach them how to be a good cop. That's why we have academies and FDO programs and probation. We'll teach that, but hire them for the qualities, hire them for the characteristics that you're looking for. Um, so, so they need to create a list. Here's what we're looking for. If that person meets those criteria and they, they hit all those buttons, they check all those boxes, that's a great candidate. Then we'll teach them how to do the, the job. Mm -hmm. And then that way everything's built in. That's why I used to like to um, hire um, people that are or 30 years old or plus. They've got all that angst out of their system. You know, they got the, the immaturity out of the system. They've moved out. They may have a family that has the military under their belt. Those, that maturity plays out because it, it, they've lived a little bit. They've, they have some life experience and, and that, that goes to play that, that um, they have the qualities already. You don't have to teach them or hope they have them. And then they learn the job. And those are, I think, the most successful people. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about the job, do we really test for the job that they're going to do or are tests yeah. artificial these days? I want to ask you, you've seen um, a lot of different promotional tests, right? Yes. So are they, do you see a trend where they're leaning more towards um, looking for the candidate who's a critical thinker, who's a problem solver, um, that they know how to use discretion, or does it just go back to they're good memorizers, or they could just sort of hold it together for two hours or four right. hours? Right. That, no, that's that's a huge that's a huge part in the promotional process. A while back, like in our day, usually the test consisted of a written test and an oral interview, mm -hmm. and it was whether the balance was 50-50 or, or 70-30. But that was a complete testing, took a written test, take an oral interview. And uh, those were who really good test takers versus those who are not such good test takers. You'll, you'll notice this dynamic. Everybody has seen this dynamic. People that are not good test takers, verbally or written, um, don't necessarily mean they're going to be the best sergeant or the best lieutenant. So you could have a candidate who's not a great test taker, who doesn't have the memory that these people have or have the gift of gab that they have. And they could be a much better, a much more qualified supervisor because that their leadership has been proven, but they don't test well. And the lesser candidate makes it over that person. And that's unfortunate. So I think as, as we matured in, in testing, you've heard of assessment centers. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of forms and different versions of assessment centers. But what they do is they take a written and they take the written and they do essay. Now you actually write stuff out so they can read it. And then you take an oral interview and then you do um, uh, an assessment from staff. In other words, they'll say, they'll, they'll look at evals. Uh, they'll see what the sergeants say about you. And then they'll put you some, some battery testing and in like an in-basket uh, exercise, uh, a public presentation. 
uh, like you're speaking to a mock city council, you have to present something to them. So what, what you're doing is you're taking diversity so that everybody has a hand in the skill. Like I'm not good at speaking, but I'm good at reading. I'm not good at reading, but I'm good at presenting. And if you if you have the diversity in that, put a lot of spokes in that wheel, you tend to come up with a better candidate. I think of people like that. It's daunting. It's a lot of testing. Um, I, I've, I've talked to people that take four or five interviews as part of their promotional process. Hmm. Civilian interview, in-house, the chief's interview, a city council interview. I mean, just goes on and on. So um, the diversity of it um, to, to tap all the qualities of candidates, I think is probably the best way to go. Yeah, I, I hope yeah. we're doing that. I hope we're doing that more across the board. It's a lot of assessment centers. That, you know, I can speak for the West Coast. Uh, a lot of agencies are going to assessment centers, whether it's in-house or they, they purchase it commercially through a company, mm -hmm. um, or they'll have combinations. If they do it in-house, they'll say, you know, we're going to adopt some assessment centers um, and not do it the old way. So it is very popular. It's very uh, common these days. But there's still a lot of agencies that do just a written and an oral, or sometimes just an oral. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you heard in my introduction, I talked about the, 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 the person who says, yeah, I didn't even study for it. And here I am number whatever. Right. 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 Uh, I don't know. I challenge the veracity of that. Um, but say, you know, I always believe that if you do the job and you know the job and you know what you're supposed to do through policies and procedures and the latest bulletins and all of that, then you should be pretty well prepared to take a test. Right. But if, the, the department, without giving us forewarning, said tomorrow, hey, Wednesday, we're releasing the promotional instruction booklet. Boom, we're going to give the promotion, we're going to give this test in 90 days. What should be our, you and me, we're in a radio car together, we're partners, what should be our priorities uh, gearing up over the next three trimesters up to the test, the first month, the second month, the third month. Okay, so um, first off, to, to, to answer that, the, the biggest uh, preparatory failure is waiting for the test announcement to start mm. preparing. <laughs> oh, we, we're too late. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we know, and, and again, you don't have to cram and, and do eight hour studies uh, for a year in advance, um, but, but there's, it, it progressively gets more as you get towards the thing. Uh, let me tell you my record. Here's my record. Uh, it's Saturday. I'm, I'm drinking a, a beer in my neighbor's garage and my phone rings. I say hello. And it says, Hey, I heard about you. I want to come out and have a consultation with you. Um, I'm testing for sergeant and uh, I'd like to have a consultation. I said, Hey, no problem. And this is on a Saturday. He says, uh, I said, when do you want to, when did you want to come out? And he says, how about tomorrow, Sunday? And this, this guy's from out of state. This guy's from out of state. I said, well, tomorrow's Super Bowl Sunday. You know, we're having potluck and all our neighbors are getting together. So I, I can't tomorrow. I'm committed. And I bet you can guess when his oral interview was. A Monday. Monday. Yes, it was. So, I mean, that, that is, if you can't get a recipe for disaster <laughs> than that, 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 that's it. And, and But a lot of people come see me within a week, within two weeks, or even a month of their oral interview. And, and the information that I give them, I mean, by, by hour four of the consultation, they're getting a nosebleed. There's so much information that I give them. They go, man, I, and they always say this. This is a, the common term. I wish I had known about you earlier. I wish I'd come see you earlier. So my advice is don't wait for the announcement to come out. And here's what we do. We, we hear the test and we don't even start preparing for the oral interview until we take the written. Why? Because if I don't pass the written, why should I waste my time preparing for the oral? That doesn't make any sense. Um, because the, the oral is usually within two to three weeks after the written. Is that enough time to prepare for an oral? No, it's not. 
So, so my advice to, to candidates who want to promote the future is look at it as a future, not when the announcement comes out. Pre-plan it. You know when people are going to retire. You kind of have an idea when they hit their 28th, 29th, 30th year. Or ask them, hey, when are you retiring? I want to start preparing. I'm going to retire next year in August. Okay, now you have your, your date set. You know, there's going to be an opening. Then start reading some books, start going on some websites, start interviewing some people, start talking to people, um, talking to some senior people, not just in your department, but outside your department. Um, uh, take some classes, go take a risk management class, go take a discipline class, um, uh, learn about decision making and start doing it slowly. You know, marathon, not a sprint and start doing it over time. And by the time you get down to the, the three months or the announcement comes out, you're already well-prepared, well-read. You've looked in the legal source book. You're very honed up on your policy. You've looked at NIMS and SIMS. You're, you're good on the Peace Officer Bill of Rights. Those are, those are great things. And that way you're not cramming at the end. Um, you know, one of the things I used to do when I walked out into a stage, they'd introduce me and I'd walk out. I wouldn't say anything. And I'd have a shot glass and a big box of white rice. And people were looking like, what's he doing? I put the, the shot glass on the table. And I open the box of white rice. I start pouring the kernels into the shot glass. And it gets fill, filled up and filled up, filled up. Finally, it starts to overflow. And then I lay it on and put the whole box of white rice and I cover the shot glass. You just barely see the rim. There's a pile of white rice. I look at it. I put the box down. And I say, raise your hand if that depicts how you feel the night before your oral interview. Everybody looks at it. They go, yep, we're overflowing with information. So if you do that and you cram at the end, that's a great metaphor. They go, yeah, I get it now. So you got to start early. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You forgot in the prep about listening to podcasts to, to get ready. <laughs> Let me tell you something. In my day, one of the ways I prepared, I tell people to do this. One of the ways I prepared is I listened to books on CD. And so, so it was insert CD number nine. You know, you're listening to a, an audio book. Right. Today, it's, it's all different. Now it's podcasts, which are phenomenal. There's some great ones out there like this one. Um, there's Bluetooth stuff. You listen right through the phone. You can do it while you're riding your bike. You do it while you're riding to work. Take it, I ask people, how long does it take you to go to work? 40 minutes each way. How long does it take you to go to work? An hour each way. Turn your radio off and take advantage of that commute to work and turn on that podcast. Turn on that Bluetooth uh, book on, 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 I keep saying CD, that book on audio recorded and listen to that. You get great golden nuggets uh, through passive listening while you're driving to work. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Passive listening. I mean, if you don't have the time to read a book, I think the next best thing is an audio book. And, and I do it all the time and long drives, you know, I, I plug my, you know, my phone right into the, the console and listen right. to a book on tape, as long as it's not about meditation or. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey, so I, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you this last thing. And you and I spoke about this before, like, which is, you know, is it the, chicken or the egg, who hires, um, you know, facilitator or a, a mentor or somebody to help them with the test? Or does that help somebody succeed? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's the person who has the will and the drive and the idea to do extra studying, or to hire somebody, I think they succeed, because they're the person that are they're hitting all the bases, right? They're doing all the checking all the boxes. Does it make sense to join a study group? What's your, what's your um, take on this? Because I know some people are dead against it because they think their heads and shoulders above everybody else. And everybody else is the enemy. Everybody else is another person that they've got to jump over to get to the top of the list. 
Right. You know, and it, it comes down to, I don't want to study and, and divulge my secrets to those I'm competing against. So that, that's a big statement that's related to that. It, it's a real thing. And, and so I deal with that a lot with, with people. Um, and usually in the bigger departments, if you've got 30, 40, 50 people testing for a position, it makes no sense not to uh, get with a couple key people in your inner circle, a couple people you trust really well. And yeah. if you study the same thing, it doesn't matter because there's so many openings that are, that are gonna be. The problem occurs when you go to the little department and I'm competing against you and you're competing against me and there's only five of us going and we guard, we guard our information like it was secret or top secret. Sure. And so um, that's a real thing, I, I get it, but um, you don't have to stay with the person you're competing against. There's, there's all kinds of ways to say, if a lieutenant leaves, there's going to be a lieutenant's position and there's going to be a sergeant's position. So if a if a, a person wants to test for lieutenant, a sergeant wants to test for lieutenant, then go and study with one of your uh, detectives or FTOs that's going to go for sergeant. Now you're not competing against each other. Study together and do that. Um, a lot of people will ask me, hey, we're, we're all studying the same thing under you. You were studying your curriculum and the stuff you're teaching us. Is it going to be a problem? Are we going to give the same answers? And my answer is no. So if you're studying together, we're all unique people. We went to different schools. We went to different things. We have different positions, assignments, and backgrounds. So when that translates out into your oral interview and your testing process, it's going to come out different. Um, the skill sets will come out, but they'll be your skill sets versus somebody else's skill sets. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, with, with regard to seeing somebody, um, I, I always tell them this. There's no landslides in testing anymore. You know, it's, it, you're not going to get somebody who gets a 90 and somebody who gets a 70. They're, they're very close, sometimes fractions of a point. Sure. I had two people promote under me, uh, two people promote to um, uh, cap, or rather sergeant. One got a 90.5 and one got a 90.25. One fourth of 1%. So if they go to a mentor or go to a consultant like me and I can get them one point, one point, not eight points, not 15 points, one point or a fraction thereof, that they wouldn't have got had they not come see me. And that point is what gets them in the top three or gets them number one and they promote score. And that's what we're after. So if it comes to a choice between trying to do a study group and a consultant, I'm going to tell you every time, do both. Do both. That's the best yeah. way to go. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I'm going to wrap it up. And I just want to say that again, you know, you're great helping people promote, study and promote. Uh, I, I also want to include those, those others that, again, don't really have the incentive or for whatever reason, don't want to promote, but they want to be better leaders. It makes sense to read uh, some of the books you're talking about, Leadership, 60 Ways to Lead, 60 Ways to Promote. Um, thanks for being on the show, Andy Borello. Absolutely my pleasure. I, I like your show. I've been listening to it and uh, keep, up, keep up the good work. It was a pleasure working with you. Oh, thanks so much. Well, Andy serves as the owner and consultant to Police Promote, and he's taught thousands of law enforcement professionals through one-on-one -on -one small study group consultations, coaching, mentorship, seminars, keynote addresses, and large presentations for agencies and professional law enforcement associations for more than 20 years. His curriculum is unique to the industry. It's intense and fun. I mean, listen to the guy. He's affable. You know, I could talk <laughs> with you all day, Andy. Uh, you're doing good work out there. Hey, to our listeners, thanks for listening. You're going to see Andy's uh, link under the show notes. And let us know if uh, there's somebody else you want to hear. There's a topic you want to hear about. 
or um, something else that might be interesting. We've got some really great guests like Andy lined up for you real soon. Hey, take good care, be safe out there, and I'll be talking with you soon. I'm Jim Dudley. Thank you.